Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being with me. I, Protestant friends uh, may be put off at the role of Mary in Catholic spirituality. I, uh, I mean, in all, even in all goodwill, uh, a lot of times the instincts that Catholics have towards the Blessed Mother, they're just not there, uh, even with uh, you know, good, solid Protestant friends. Um, on the other hand, there are those who find Catholic understanding and devotion to the Blessed Mother uh, beautiful and, and can be moved by it. In fact, I mean, I don't know anybody who has seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ who isn't moved by Mother Mary's tenderness and tenacity. Uh, how often uh, people, Catholic or not, are moved to tears uh, at that scene where Mary is being led by John through the back streets of Jerusalem in order to catch up with Jesus, who's on the way of the cross. And when she finally reaches him, he's collapsed, and she swoops in like a mother, ready to lift up her fallen child. And he looks to her and says, See, mother, I make all things new. And underneath, of course, the, the visuals there, you've got... Uh, You've got the battered Christ, his anxious mother, but you've got the most beautiful music composed by John Debney that turns that moment into a moment of contemplation. Um, but back back to evangelical Protestant friends who are reluctant to embrace the role of Mary. Um, I, I go back to what I used to think. I, uh, when I was an evangelical Protestant, I would say things like, well, look, uh, Catholics make too much of Mary. Uh, Catholics, well, their concern for Mary is disproportionate to the number of her mentions in Scripture. Uh, Catholics should admit that some Catholic devotion to Mary, like peasant folk religion, turns Mary into a goddess, uh, almost a fourth person of the Godhead, turning the Trinity into a quartet. Of course, Catholics respond and they say, hey, that's not what we teach. That's not the teaching of the Church. But do you really think that uh, some Latin American peasant woman who's devoted to Mary is really distinguishing between Latria, Dulia, and Hyperdulia? Well, okay, maybe not. But they are instinctually imitating Christ, who honored his mother. And in imitating Christ, we honor her as well. And it's true, all of those distinctions may not be subjectively present in everyone who is exercising devotion to Mary, but we don't go on what people subjectively are experiencing. We go on what the Church actually teaches. And the Church is absolutely clear. Mary is not worshipped and adored uh, in the same way that we worship and adore the triune God. Okay. Well, what about the relatively few mentions of Mary in the Scriptures? Doesn't that show that she doesn't occupy the place of prominence that Catholics give her? Well, relative to what? You say relatively few, but relative to what? She's mentioned more often than Adam and Eve, and they certainly influence the human race more than anyone except Jesus. So while Mary's not mentioned as often as Moses, not mentioned as often as of Peter or Paul, Yet her role in Scripture is even more significant. She's absolutely unique. There are many prophets. There are many apostles. 
but there's only one God-bearer. There are a lot of people who proclaim the Word of God. There's only one woman who bore the Word of God, quite literally, within her. She's utterly unique in that she literally transmits the Word of God to the world. So when the Word of God wanted to take on human flesh, whose human flesh did he choose? It was Mary's. She donated out of her own life substance the flesh of Jesus. When God wanted to take on a human nature, he chose Mary. Um, The body prepared for Christ, don't forget this, the body prepared for Christ is taken from the Blessed Mother. Nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role. And also notice, too, that she's present at turning points in the biblical storyline. So, for instance, in the Annunciation, who hears God's word and does it? Matthew 12, Jesus says, Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he points to his disciples and he says, Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Well, in the Gospel of Luke, Mary is presented as the first, the the prototypical disciple. She's the one who receives and does the will of God par excellence. Her her fiat, uh, be it done to me according to your will, is the response of all faithful disciples of Jesus. So from the beginning, Mary is actually presented in the Gospels as someone who anticipates and foreshadows our own future as disciples. True disciples hear the Word of God and do it. And she does that at the moment of his conception. She's also there, of course, at his birth. She's there when he launches his public ministry. In fact, he launches his public ministry at her urging when he turns water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. John's Gospel makes a point that this is the first sign that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples at the beginning of his public ministry. Mary was not only there, she was the catalyst for the start of his public ministry. So, yes, uh, the mentions may not be as many as Moses, Peter, or Paul, but where she is mentioned, well, significant turning points in salvation history. Speaking of his public ministry, by the way, she follows him in his public ministry. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 12, beginning of verse 46. Her presence is used by Jesus as an object lesson. He teaches that obedience to God the Father creates a relationship stronger than natural family bonds. So when he says, who's my mother and my brother? He answers, the one who hears the word of God and does it. And that, of course, is what Mary did in the story of the Annunciation, as I pointed out just a few minutes ago. She's a member of his family in two ways. She's his mother by birth, and he, she's his mother's sister by obedience to God's will. She's also right there at the foot of the cross uh, as this pub- public ministry comes to its climax. She's there agonizing over the death of her son, modeling for us the need for everyone to come to the foot of the cross. And she's there praying in the upper room when the Spirit comes in power. And again, at Pentecost, when the church is birthed in the same Holy Spirit who overshadowed her at the Annunciation is now overshadowing the disciples 
with tongues of supernatural fire. And she's there in the book of Revelation, the last book of Holy Scripture, where she's been assumed into heaven and is presented to us as the mother of the Messiah, assumed into heaven, foreshadowing our own reception into heavenly glory. So when people say the New Testament doesn't emphasize Mary's importance, I wonder if they're really considering how a real mother supports a real exceptional son. She doesn't disappear. She doesn't pretend they're not related. She's with them. She plays a critical uh, and unique role in influencing, um, encouraging, forming Jesus and suffering with him. Gibson's film uh, also catches something that I think the other Jesus films don't seem to get. Uh, Mary's referred to as mother, not only by Jesus, but also by Peter and John. They recognize that the mother of the Redeemer is their mother too. Again, by virtue of their redemption in Christ. Mary's the new Eve in relation to Jesus, the new Adam. Eve's the mother of all the living. Mary is the mother of the living one who gives life to all who call on his name and receive him as Lord. John chapter 1, verse 12 uh, let me lay out that verse and make a, an analogy here. The passage reads, To all who have received him, to those who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Or, <clears throat> and here I'll modify it just a bit to make the point, to all who have received him, you might add there, as Mary received him, to all who have received him, as Mary received him, to those who believed in his name, as Mary did, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Christ was first of all formed in Mary, and we, in a sense, imitate her. Because according to St. Paul, Christ is being formed in all of us who have received him in faith and baptism. Christ in us is our hope of glory. So from her position as the new Eve, whose offspring brings life to the world, to her role in the birth of the church, to her role in exemplifying how Christ is formed within us, the Blessed Mother occupies a vital and significant role in salvation history. In the Magnificat, uh, she recognizes prophetically that because of her relationship to Jesus, quote, all generations shall call me blessed. And in fact, all generations have called her blessed. If I simply ask any person raised in the West, the cultural West, who do I mean when I say the woman or the mother, they will likely say, oh, Mary. She's become the exemplar, the model, the archetype of the woman. The only reason, it seems to me, the only reason a fellow Christian minimizes the role of Mary in salvation history is because they're still laboring under the polemics and anti-Catholic bias, which is still a part of Protestant America. But just as Our Lady of Guadalupe has become the patron of Mexico, so too has John Paul II made Mary the patron of the Americas. 
It's only a matter of time, I believe, before she is more fully recognized as the patron of the United States of America. So we should not be, as Catholics, intimidated uh, when people, you know, non-Catholic Christians, minimize the role of Mary. We should be ready with the points that I just made here to help them enter more deeply into the mystery of the Incarnation. We are talking about a real mother of a real son. The Blessed Mother was not just a conduit for Jesus to enter the world. She formed the bo- his body out of her own life substance. She taught and formed him in his spiritual growth and development. And she will do the same for us. 